Hello everybody and greetings. This is Tevo DRC here from the DFW Leader Ministry Online Fellowship at the web address DFW Ministry, let's see, DFW Leader Ministry Fellowship, DFW Leader Ministry Fellowship.com. We are today because we want to talk about servant leadership and we're going to talk about the different styles of charismatic, primarily people that seek the Holy Spirit kind of government doctrines and their fruit. And that's where I've found my worst cases of legalism since I never grew up as a charismatic around that kind of white. Western European Levitical Patriarchism, Matriarchism, Shepherding, Covering Shepherding. I never was around that till the Lord led me in the 90s to study the spirit of prophecy. And I had been in, my family background was that I was raised in a very happy, non-legalistic, free and joyful, humorous family home of a senior pastor father, Southern Baptist, who was a seminary graduate. And I was the firstborn child for eight years and uh, was just godly contented to have a sister. But I just never, ever heard of anything that would make it so hard to want to go to church and fellowship with the saints. When I grew up, I was a Jesus person. I accepted the Lord at an early age and rededicated in my life and then really got, as my grandmother would say on my mother's side, I got on fire for the Lord in the Jesus People Movement. And then when I was 24, after college, and I was married before children, I was in a Presbyterian church before the big, charismatic, prophetic TV era, right after Jesus People. And I was sort of around town, as I'm always sent around the region, getting involved in repentance for racial healing. It's been my life here and there when I can find it. So when I was in a church, married, and sitting there one day, age 24, half charismatic, half Presbyterian, and when I go to any kind of church, it's not because it's black or white, Presbyterian, Baptist, Catholic, it doesn't matter. I'm just sent there. I pray about where you want me. Is the sermon good? Are they teaching correctly? Are they okay? And then I'll go. So I was there, and the Lord put on my heart a very peaceful very peaceful request and he said I want you to study my ministers and my leaders of the different kinds of Christians black or white know their doctrine know their pet peeves what they don't like know their styles their worship and so forth and then one day I'll have you build bridges of understanding between the groups my people I thought that sounds interesting but I never knew what went on until I got out and life unfolded. So as I say, when I grew up, I grew up with very happy, harmonious household. And I just never heard that there was any such a thing as a pastor wanting to possess and own God's people. I never knew there was weird offering taking. I never knew there was such thing as shepherding or prophetic you know everybody's got to make sure that they're under so-and-so and that they are only a member of one church that they have to be a member or else they're talked about that came later and it's sad to say ruined my whole life of wanting to do it that way i didn't ever there's no reason the bottom line is this let's go to the bottom line the bottom line is not about wanting people to be in church. That's the Hebrew 10 command, but it's not legalistic. Not something you accuse people out of. All right. What you do is you assess. And so all the things that I mentioned, covering, who are you under, weird stuff that goes on, it breeds relationship attack. It breeds impure, unsweet, no harmony accusation. Gossip and backbiting is accusation of a relationship. It is not E-O-R-R, -R, equal opportunity, real respectful, because they wouldn't gossip about them, blackball them, do things that are improper, untoward, in the name of Jesus Christ following, if they really loved them and respected them. They would make an appointment in Matthew eighteen fifteen, up front confront respectfully. 
Or Galatians 6, 1, go in the spirit of humility and correct them if they're the leader. So all the things that have made my radar blip were when the Lord put on my heart, I started seeing these things. I got jumped in a public setting twice, maybe more than that, just for showing up. No dialogue, no relationship, no valuing, no respect. And I was a minister, a peer. So all these things are going on. These things are not right. They're going on in different parts of the United States or around the world where there is what a religious spirit in the ministry, where there's false teaching in the ministry, where there's relationship devaluing and legalism and law in the ministry. And that's why I'm speaking up because this is God's new move and we don't want to mess it up. We don't want to be involved in harming it. And making people not want to go to church when maybe this is the last call before Jesus comes himself. That's my point. It can be black or brown or white. But when I mention my nightmare, the Levitical patriarchism, it's only been Western European background. And the reason I know is that I was always, as a pastor's daughter, freely, whatever God says, do it. That's the kind of... You know, you just know that as a pastor's daughter, you're raised by great Christians that are polite. You observe the boundaries and you abide by the boundaries in order in James 3.17 style. And then you leave. You're on your own turf. Do your own thing. That's all I ever do. It was when I showed up in the false doctrines that are huge in different big places, a lot of people, that I realized that something is is not right to be that tough on people just for wanting to follow Jesus and getting to know him plus i never was around a pastor or ministers in my whole family were filled with ministers that wanted to own people possess them i presume it to keep the offerings and money coming in that's all i can think about this so that's why we're being very outspoken because it is a huge thing now i had before texas before my the landmine of my life hit me in every direction and everything just was disappeared. The ministry fruit, you know, of, that I had a ministry. <clears throat> I had an office, a couple of offices around town. I was on media uh, in two or three counties on the TV, on real radio. I had helpers. Well, my staff was a couple who had gotten married at like 46. They're African-American. And before they had come over to help me, before they were sent, they had been in a college ministry serving the pastor who was an apostle for 20 years. It was then I found out some of the things that are going on in different kinds of ministries. They were not allowed, they, they were told not to marry early because it would hurt his ministry. So is the church. They were never given one day off in 20 years. I said, 20 years? Yes, 20 years. Did you even get to go home and see your mothers on Mother's Day? No. They did the pastor's laundry. This is African-American to African-American, but to me it's like slaves. But they were wonderful, quality, genuine people. So by the time they came to me, they were 46, and they said, well, the whole he had told the whole church, put off having children so that it would hurt our ministry. Everything was about his ministry. It could have been about a her and her ministry, but this was a his. All right. So many things God has allowed me the grace to bump into that are really eye raisers, eyebrow raisers that you know are going on when you never could have figured it out, never would have met anybody unless God threw them right in front of your path. These were, and I say that respectfully, these are very quality, respectful people. So I'm not a novice and I'm not a gun shy person because lives, this are relationships. These are people that get hurt. These are people that get robbed. These are people that get ruined by false teaching somewhere. So I might come hard on the whelp. Because I deal with the world of prophecy of all kinds, and that is a mean spirit. But many people are very intelligent, and it makes it even worse. So I'm just thinking of all the people I've met. Read Ode to Welp at the top of onlinefellowship.us, and you will find 
that represents a collective experience of me getting jumped, but also running into many countless people over thirty dec- three decades where you find the similar fruit of the same spirit. One time I was sent, I was sent, you know, to speak, to, to minister, to, to visit different kinds of Christians around the, the United States, black and white. So I would go to North Carolina at times. I was sent to, um, now I'm sent in South Carolina. Uh, I was sent to Alabama. I was sent to Florida, many places, Panhandle to the central part, basically over and over. I was sent to Tulsa, Oklahoma, DFW, Virginia Beach, Virginia. I've had a lot of experience with the different flavor and the fruit you meet when you're walking it out in a area that has a Christian community. And nothing could have prepared me for the deep south of DFW. Nothing could have prepared me. <laughs> but we won't go there much except for the Welp Central. The Welp Central was huge. So I, I've really gotten where I want people, God's people, to know that we have to be, after we really want to make sure God's, that the strangers, newbies, black, white, females, older people, young people are safe and that you're really representing the true Christian. And how do you represent the true Christ is the main thing. Well, first of all, Christ was not white. He was not black. Well, he could have been more black than white. He was Middle Eastern, Sephardic Jew. And he lived in a tribal area, community, with lots of, you know, lots of pressure in it. But it was a multicultural, diverse community. And he went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed with the devil. He didn't say, disciples, I want you to count and see if all the sheep are, are in church at every meeting on Wednesday and Sunday. Or Saturday, I'm, I want you to set up a bunch of disciples to make sure that nobody's church hopping. You know, even Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, had been a Levitical Pharisee, a Middle Eastern melp, Hebrew help, Hebrew Eastern uh, Levitical par- par- uh, excuse me, patriarchism, patriarch. But he was not once he got redeemed and saved. He didn't have that legalism. He was the opposite. He said... I'm so glad you noble Bereans pick apart my doctrine and question my doctrine and compare it with, with if it's in scripture to make sure that you're hearing correctly from God because I'm human. I love that. I love it. He submitted his doctrine in a very respectful and submitted sila form, not in dogma. Auto, he was not an autocrat. He was before maybe, but he wasn't after his encounter with the Lord. Apostle Paul and Christ were in the most diverse of all areas, Jerusalem and in Ephesians, the Asia Minor, Turkey, trade routes, all the different kinds of races and people groups and subgroups coming through from the Romans to the temple idolaters and the temple Diana worshipers, which was a mega church, so to speak, of that kind. So they were not easily horrified. They were not gentrified. They were not. They didn't have time to sit around drumming up rules and order and government to keep watch over everybody. I love it that the first church was house to house. They were house to house. But how would you keep them from being confused? A legalist would think. Because they were led by the Spirit and they had a freedom. As the African proverb says, it takes a village to raise a child. This is the village. When I was in Murphy, Texas, when I first went to Texas, uh, Texas DFW, I had an office. And the office was a like this storage unit, but it had really cool little offices, insurance business, and different ones were alongside me. So I got myself an office for the ministry. Well, out in the area, a very nice area, there was this young man and is I guess about 40 years old 43 years old and he's like six foot four but he had something wrong with him he had had some damage mentally he had had some trauma well that young man would hang around me and he'd hang around them and he'd hang around the people in the front office and he hung around and he talked and I thought this is they were so respectful of him They were so respectful of him. It really touched my heart. I was so glad of that. They didn't put him down because he was different. 
but they patiently loved him, you know, quietly spoke to him, answered his questions, and so forth. <laughs> and I thought, this is what it means to have a village to raise this particular child. He's 44, but he had some mental health issues. One time, this is why I know that <laughs> you have to be ready for anything. One time, this man, I was sitting in the, there's a window in my office, you know, you could see in. So the young man, the 44 year old, six foot four gentleman comes in to chat. So I let him, you know, there he is. We're chatting. He said, Dr. T. I said, Yeah. He says, You know, some woman, she tried to seduce me, she tried to pull me down to the floor. <laughs> And I went, oh, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> but I, I said, oh, really? And then I tell the Lord, Lord, why do you put me up for all this? <laughs> but I thought, you never know what's going on with people. See, this guy's six foot four, and somebody's trying to take advantage of him. Some female, it could be a male and a female, the opposite. But I thought, this is grassroots front line. You're not easily horrified. You understand they have a valid point they feel that they're free enough to confess share things i've had men that were my helpers i've tried to have a helper a married man in texas i was trying to get the men's ministry going back then eight years ago and i had been visiting at a big mega church with many many uh other churches that were in part of that mega ministry so i meet this gentleman i think he's in his 40s and he's married, his second marriage. And so I went and, as a female to work with a man. I went over to meet with his wife and had lunch. And she brought her mother and all four sisters. And I thought, good, they're checking me out. That's great. And I had a rule that if we're going to work together, she's got to be involved. And I got him a computer so that he could Skype with me and we wouldn't have to hang around much. We could do it our ministry. He was going to be the helper that gets me organized. And that way, you know, have a administration. Well, a long story short, it was not what, you know, it was just as functional and chaotic as you'd ever want to come across. It was one of my eye openers of the Deep South and also mega ministry. When I tried to confront, they hid and power blocked me to get my computer back. All these things went on. So I, I, I did have quite a learning curve. But anyway, this young man, the man said that he had been abused by his first wife. Well, I'd been abused by my, you know, former person. And I I was thinking, he said, well, you know, people put me down because I'm divorced. I went, well, I understand it. <laughs> I never did that before. I never understood it because I wasn't counting on getting divorced. But I thought, I have empathy. Nothing is going to make me put you down. No matter what you've been through, what you've done, what you've said, what you haven't done. I understand life is just hard and we make dumb mistakes. And sometimes we can't help it if we are forced to divorce. So this guy was another six foot four big guy and respected me. I respected him. And so I thought he had been abused by his wife. He told me that. And he said that he had you know, been put down for being divorced. I thought only women got put down by divorce by the Levitical patriarchs, but maybe not. But anyway, so interesting life, but I really respect all people. And as a person, my parents raised me as the firstborn. Maybe I was like the guy, you know, I'm five foot nine, 10. And so I remember helping with the suitcases and my little sister is eight years younger, you know, but I was just treated like a friend of my parents you know, you, they they didn't let me push them around. I didn't want them to. They had the authority. But I was just brought up to think that, you know, if I relate to one person, uh, I watch out if they're married and I'm not, or if I am married and they are, I always watch out for the bound, you know, the right thing. I don't ever work with a person when I am um, married. I was never working with anybody I thought had chemistry. I don't do that. I watch out for that. And I watch out for them. I want to be my brother's keeper. A real Christian is their brother's keeper, their mother's keeper, their sister's keeper, and that's who I've always been. I don't think we need to make a big deal about it, but the reason we are is because we're afraid. A lot of people are just afraid in the Christian community. They're afraid they're going to lose control or that they're going to be talked about or that they are going to be 
taken over because they were mother their mother was a bossy person and see i've seen too many things in leadership males and females to this day that now i really know how they're thinking a lot i never know exactly what we'll do the, the thing is to go research doctrine so when all these things come up i rece- i researched how my dad and I related, my dad and his wife related. He related in Ephesians 5.21 in marriage. Mutual submission in the fear of the Lord with the husband being the tiebreaker in case of a big, you know, they can't agree. And that was how it is. That's how I was married. That's how I believe life is. You're just going to work it out. It's not going to be some big eye ruling over the chattel. I've never seen that until I got out in the Christian community. <laughs> These same kinds. The doctrine is when you have the study of Levitical patriarchism shepherding, the white version of it, it is really a lot like the Pharisees. It's a lot like the Pharisees that threw the woman down who was caught in adultery at Jesus, hoping he'd stone her with them. They accused the woman, but guess what? The LPs never accused the man. They just break the woman. There's an ought against females in the Levitical patriarchism doctrine and community. You go back to that, to the Eli Templei priesthood, the user, abuser, accuser of women and money priesthood. Right before Ichabod was pronounced by the, by the, by the um, unknown, faceless, nameless prophet in 1 Samuel. Then you go over to America. You look at the colonial settlers up in the Puritans. Now, all of these good things that all of them did, the New England patriarchs, we are grateful for that. We're thankful. We're happy it happened. But within that crowd, there must have been a few with false teaching because they came up with these Salem witch trials, which accuses females. It's similar to the whelp. It may be where it comes down from in America. So the LP tradition is they can't negotiate. They have to accuse, accuser spirit. And the whelp up in New England, the, the patriarchs, they would write the book like Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter. Well, the woman, only the woman has to wear that scarlet letter. Where's the man? Is he wearing one? It's only about, there's something about women. They can't really, they don't get women. They don't want women. They don't like them. They're afraid of them. They're immature. There's something about that spirit. It is disrespecting, but also evil. In the Salem witch trials, which I've studied, they have what is called, the, they presented spectral evidence. Google that. Spectral evidence was up in the day, back in the day, the New England patriarchs got out there. They would have dreams and ideas and vibes that were spooky about certain women and then they'd say that means they're a witch and they'd accuse them and then the judges of that day took that as evidence and they killed them so this is not some oh fun oh yeah a little mistaken error this is like really terrible it does things if you look at Ephesians, excuse me samuel 1 when the lone leader woman hannah appears suddenly onto the steps of the temple the elderly, toxic, experienced Eli High Priest is there sitting there taking a break. Well, he sees a mother of the house of Israel alone on the steps and her shoulders are weeping. The back, the, her shoulders are shaking because she's weeping and he says she's drunk. He accuses her instead of assessing her as, oh, what's wrong? He's compassion fatigued. This one lone woman who appears by herself is really getting away from being persecuted and she's there with the blessing of her husband, Alkanah. The other wife, Penina, is on her case and persecuting her badly because she is barren and Penina has many children and she's rubbing her nose in that. So we find that there's no relationship interest. There's no respect for the lone female because the Levitical patriarch is to, you know, he probably sees this person and he's counseled a thousand women through the years. He's his middle-aged patriarch and he says, yeah, I've seen a thousand like her. They've just got baggage. They're just one more time waster, those mothers that show up. Yeah, single, man. 
she's just probably another drunk. That's compassion-fatigued Eli Temple Priester, the accuser of the motherin, and the user of the motherin as well, because he tolerated, did you know that Eli's two sons, who were his staff members, the minister's co-associate laborers, they were renowned in the whole area for sleeping with the women that came to the temple, and they were the staff, and then using people's offering, commandeering the offering to get more, and then using it for themselves. And that is what brought down that priesthood and Ichabod in the nation because of the high priesthood. They were committing adultery, fornication, and they just did it. They were serial serial users and abusers and accusers. So we want to make sure we're not doing that. I look again at the first Samuel Eli Temple High Priesthood, which I've written many, many things on through the years, last 12 years. And we notice that in the New Testament, it would be likened to the pastor's fivefold offices in Revelation 2, 8, 2 through 8 through 19 where they are the lost first love lampstand. They're working hard. They're making a lot of money. They're doing a lot of things in the temple, service of the Lord, but they're now hardened and dry and even decadent. And the relationship respect is not even a factor. That is the big deal. There is no E-O-R-R, equal opportunity, real respect, but there's also user, abuser, and accuser. So let's watch it for this move of God. He's not tolerating in any of it. He wants servant leadership, not autonomy and autocracy. He wants it to be family and community. Ephesians 4 speaks for that. So I'm going down some of the things that I'm going to be speaking on that I need to address in the body of Christ for our series called Gone with the Legalism. And the Lord has always sent me to the deep south. He'd given me some very woeful tweets they're sort of funny, but they're still sort of sarcastic or sort of infamous. And one of them was, uh, what is it? it says, don't, don't say that you're a part of the Bible belt unless you change your plastic buckle. Don't claim to be part of the Bible belt unless you change your plastic buckle. Think about that. You can think of it several ways. One is phony. Two, a plastic buckle doesn't keep the pants up. So I'll put it like that mildly. Anyway, it's time to be this forthright. But it's also time to have fun. I really feel a joy for the people who are not like this. For the remnant, I feel real peace. I feel you better get your act together and, and do what God is telling you to do with all your might. I've got to do it myself. I admit I went through a lot of pain and I had to forgive a lot of people and even had to forgive myself myself for just being tired and and uh having a lot of pain a lot of people would think i say that one reason because i know a lot of people in the suspicious never talk to you category will think man she did the you know the deed she did it she did it that's what they all love to think that's a levitical whelp male or female that's what they like they won't ask you they won't talk to you but they'll love to think or have their nightmares and dreams like the what do you call it? Spectral evidence. That's why I'll talk about it, because it doesn't bother me. Anybody who thinks I've sinned, feel free to ask. Anybody who thinks anybody else sins in this move of God, if you're that inquiring, if you've got to know, if you're that bad about being a nosy busybody, you better call these people up and confront them. Matthew eighteen fifteen, Galatians 6, 1 lest you fall into it because God is not going to settle for what he used to and backbiting Phariseeism is out. O-U-T out. So is this who are they under Levitical patriotism is out. It is out. I confront it. It is a controlling spirit. I've never been in any kind of group ever. Baptist, black ever, Pentecostal, real Pentecostal. I've never been any Methodist, Catholic, denominational vineyard where they have this issue about seeing all these witches on people projecting their evil fear on <laughs> it's so disgusting it's so disturbing so creepy all right if you think they're a witch 
then either you confront him or you bind Satan. You show you have some might and power. You assess them, but you don't accuse them. What is a witch, everybody? A real witch is a human being God loves. They've gotten into the wrong. They've gotten hurt. They've gotten into evil. They've been, you know, they've just gotten into the wrong power source. So there's a balance. You don't want to entertain people that are going to hurt you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that let's just don't call so many. Just don't have an evil conscience. Don't have that evil dark prophetic paranoia which is called spooky spiritual that's why i teach on prophecy that's why i'm so upfront. i'm tired of it i have a very short patience also if i go in there and i know by as a, by the spirit of god i'll know if they're talking about me or i'll know if they're what do you get putting the the accuser labeling on me i'll know it by the spirit and i just won't go i don't have to go through that why do you want to go through weird stuff and one thing I like are people who are natural. Let's have Jesus Christ. You know, that's why we're going back to the first church before all this weirdness, before all this super spiritual being, you know, precise and skilled with your prophetic prowess, but you're no loving, you're cold as a dead mackerel. <laughs> let's get out there and let's get back on the game again the game plan all right first church multicultural i'm picturing church of ephesians now the ephesians church the book of ephesians is a mighty mega intricate and multi-level plethora of fine teaching all right we got the community we got sitting in heavenly places we got parents and children we got all sorts of things in relationships marriage we got all amazing things. Now he's able to do exceedingly above. I'll ask or think many things, which I can't get into. However, no matter how good all that is, all the fivefold offices in a diverse Asia Minor, multicultural, pre-Christian, Gentile Jew, and everybody entered mankind all in one hodgepodge, meld, we also find that later, whatever good stuff that was going on in that work plant had changed under the challenges and turned out to be the first church of Ephesians that the Lord rebukes openly about losing its first love in Revelation 2. Wow. Wowee. What went on? They'd gotten tough, full of themselves, hard-hearted callous imperceptive now the relationships in the community were being backbitten and brutalized and used and all sorts of things it was legalism it was all sorts of things so we don't want to go there and we want to check our own heart we don't want to be like the levitical eli priesthood of first samuel either which is like the first church of ephesus in revelation 2 we can do things to stop all this performance not such hard work but do it out of relationship what does it say in psalm 127 verse 1 unless the lord builds the house those who labor labor in vain it's not good to just think oh i've got to get something to do something right for the lord i need to have a vision i need to make it plain i need to do this i need to do it i need to do it because it's not about humility and hungering after the lord in a relationship what does it say? Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. They're going to see God in inside. They're going to perceive him, how wonderful he is, how beautiful, how holy. They're going to perceive that he wants to be with them and connect with them and lead them and reveal to them the game plan. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall perceive or see the Lord. Amazing. They're going to watch him, how he shows up for them. So we're talking and instructing about how to do. When we look at the first church, we look at the signs and wonders, yes. But we don't see a lot of teaching on Ephesians 2.14, let's say. He is our peace who's broken down every wall of partition to make us both one. Racial healing. Different kinds of personalities to 
backgrounds to styles to choices and looks he is our peace who's broken down every wall to make us both one what is the goal oneness unity psalm 133 that's where god commands his blessing his life life eternal forevermore is in unity of the body sons and daughters not conquests not prizes not hoops and notches in your belt it is about community and love ephesians 4 so we want to go down our list of doctrine and attitudes and see what is really being taught what are we really serving under and why who are we really going to serve all these people that want to do it are you going to serve the lord that's my question so we look at ephesians 4 nobody if I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus Christ was alive, this is my abiding in James 3.17 relationship theology, which is E-O-R, equal opportunity, real respect, but James 3.17 relation theology, abiding relationship theology is read when Jesus was alive in ministry with his family, with his mother, with all the people. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel, the gospels, not the gossips, see how Jesus acted and reacted in every relationship, and then we do the same. Were they all white? No. They were brown, black, every color under the sun. How did he do it? Did he set up witch watchers? Did he set up counters to see, did they cross over, and when they hanging out at one disciple's church one day and one week and did they go and hop over to another one no i don't see anything like that jesus went about did jesus sit in his prophetic office untainted not a letting in letting anyone too close to his aura because his holy anointing might be fouled no he was not like that he was not untouchable he was not unrelatable he didn't see himself as over everybody. He saw himself as out with them. Like the shepherd, as a wise prophet once said, he was like a shepherd with the scent of sheep on his clothes. Now, you don't want to be, you know, Jesus had to have time off too. I'm not saying to get too overboard in that, but there's a balance. Jesus played with the little children. That's a relationship. He related to them. He equal opportunity respected them and loved them. He treated his the women, if you read about all the women mentioned, his mother, the woman at the well, the woman that caught in the adultery, Mary Magdalene, the normal general people out there, he treated everyone equally. He never had any kind of woman, thou art bound. He never had any woman, better sit three steps back, or you're not, you're going to be up with the men, and we can't have that. It was not that hoity-toity, and it wasn't that disrespectful. It was much more low-key, tribal, not structured, but tribal. When Jesus really got on a hissy fit, he never had a hissy fit against the normal person, the natural people of the day, whether they believed or non-believed. But what he did have a hissy fit was whenever he had to deal with the Pharisees, in Matthew 23, the whole book, the whole chapter in red letters is Jesus not being politically correct, not whispering behind their backs, but out in public rebuking openly the Pharisees for all their many things. They're all their many hypocritical and extra rules they came up with and bowing and scraping and man-pleasing. And he did it in front of the multitudes and his disciples. So we got to say, you know, it isn't always just a sweet baby. Oh, sweet baby Jesus, don't make any waves. We might not be popular. We might look bad and people might talk about us. Too bad they did. Anyway, they will anyway. <laughs> so overview, we're looking how we can learn and grow the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 1025 <clears throat> fellowshipping with the saints a few years ago i came up with the idea i don't have to fellow you know the new move <clears throat> with me at least i don't have to fellowship with the saints 
it, I mean, Jesus commands us, but if they're all critics and gossips and aren't trustworthy, won't be confronted, pulling the wool over people's eyes like snakes, if <laughs> you've tried, you can go online. You can fellowship with two or three at the, where you can find them. All right. So there's criteria that has to be met now. God is not mocked with this playtime ministry. So we can look and we think, yep, there is this, the escape clause, the two, Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5, from such toy fellowship, if they're all accusers, boasters, denying the power thereof, lovers of themselves and of money, from such turn away command. That's a command too. So it is with Second, I think it's First Timothy 6, 5. It says, if they are disputers and they say that, you are not blessed unless you have big bucks and from such turn away. And I have. So I think we really need to get our act together. I think you also need to, some of you out there, maybe more than a few, get your car living fellowship, your car dweller fellowship, make it an adventure. I've been there. I can tell you how to do it and be do it well. And uh, I think you need to have maybe a, a group that is ministering to those who are to fix cars, let's say 50 on up, 55 on up, if they, you know, if they don't have enough money because of car repair and they have to live in it, then you need to be ready to do it. But then make sure they're qualified. They're not going to be, you know, all drunk and on drugs and stuff and wreck it and hurt them. But if they're qualified, then you need to have different things because of all this huge pandemic eviction stuff. And I think some of you better get off your uh, snide little horses because you are really bad uh, in certain parts of the community about being such a disrespecter of people. One thing, if anything, I come out of my life is I believe I've got a call against the spirit called respecter of person's spirit. Because you can look and listen to some of my other tapes. I give my testimony on the one before this about my life. God put me, set me up to love people, and he set me up to respect all colors and all faiths just by my background, the kindness in my family, and him. So I think the respecter of persons is like this. The respecter of persons is a devil. People, even God's people, can be so blind and so cold and so cruel without knowing it that it takes revelation God to illuminate their own hearts to see, let them be convicted of it. Why do I say that? Peter himself, one day in the New Testament, blurts it out. He says, oh, I perceive that in Christ there is no such things as respecter of persons. Oh, I didn't realize it, says Peter. Oh, I perceive, I inner know. I enter sins and finally get it. I have a rock of revelation hitting me on the head. Man, I see it now. There is no such things as respect your person's spirit if you know the Lord. Let us teach on that. All right. What is respect your person's spirit? That means you like some. You might have pets, a few pets in your ministry, in your church, in your family, but you and you prefer them more than the others. And if nobody would know it except you, then that would just be about you and God. But the issue is people are not dumb. And many people have had abuse, racism, many types of persecution, background, bias. So they're sensitive to that and their inner perceiver discerners will know it. So if you, if they walk into a church and all the people are in this big clique, and the pastor's the head, or they're all family, and they all are like, hee, 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 and nobody has any notice or any idea, they're clueless, that other people are there too to, <laughs> to feel included, accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1.6. So that spirit of respecter of persons means that well, we only approve you if you look like us, if you do what we say exactly and you conform to us in our template, or only if you're white or brown, only if you are a traditional soul but never a maverick, 
only if you are under the law like we are and all these things. So there are many types of respecter of persons. But what it is, the respecter of persons means that it projects disrespects and demeans people who are not just like it. So if you say, well, I'm going to go where they all wear, they all dress up, they're all fine, and they all are, you know, wear their hair a certain way, but I'm going to go and be myself, and I'm not going to dress up, and I don't have a lot of money, and I'm just going to wear my hair to please myself and the Lord, and I'm going to look clean, but I will not try to keep up with the Joneses. So you go in, they're all keeping up with each other, and they can tell because you look different. You don't look like them, but you also don't think like them, so you have a vibe also, maybe an edge on you. So they will all pick up, and they will all band together like a little flock of chickens because they have a respect or person's spirit, or they're indifferent, or they just may think they're weird, she's weird, he's weird. So I've been around this bush where I have found that when I was in the deep, deep south, not now, to my knowledge, when I was in the deep south, I'd never been around chauvinism, accusative chauvinism, that you walk in, you think you're going to fellowship with the saints in a Christian church that's born again, and instead you are the stereotype of a woman, the female, some of which is not too popular. The female coming to undermine, the mother who's coming to dominate, the follower, the groupie, sad to say, the gullible, dull-witted little woman, <laughs> the, the woman who's come to serve us and be under us and pay her tithe, but we won't speak to her. And then also the chauvinist, the nemesis, the nemesis, she's come. <laughs> she's come to boss it up. <laughs> she's come <laughs> to boss, to dominate, to rule. <laughs> the Queen J. You know, when I, as a Baptist, you don't do this. This is charismatic stuff. All right. So I retreat to my Baptist sanity, the sacred Baptist qualities that are so healthy and so mature. And then I go as a, my grandmother's child, I go as a noble Berean to study what's in their doctrine. What in the world is in their doctrine that as a new person, you're jumped, accused, which I have been. I got accused in 2010, my last time for going to that kind of church. I went to have worship. I was grieving the loss of a friend, and I wanted to get in the Holy Spirit. So I drove on a hot, hot day, 45 minutes, put gas in the car, energy, went over to the church. And so when I sat in the back of the church, I thought, I'll just go down as a fellow peer, new to the area, sort of new. I'll introduce myself to the staff and ask to make an appointment for someone on the staff so we can have a prayer network, you know, in case of emergency in the area, a Sears network, <laughs> not Sears department store, <laughs> but a Sears network. So I went down and I went down to the front. And as I did, that spirit of Levitical patriotism raises its hoary head, its disrespectful head. And I walked down quietly after the service, like I would in Virginia, like I would other places and other kind of groups that are not like that. And I started to say my name and why I was wanting to say hello and, you know, introduce myself. They didn't give me a chance. The man who was the famous preacher's, famous prophet's brother, <clears throat> who was younger than me, grabbed me by the wrist as a female, a, a little woman, grabbed me by the wrist and put my hand in the, my wrist of the new person into the hand of a waiting female. Well, that waiting female was an autocrat, a Levitical matriarch, and didn't let me speak my name again or tell why I was there. And she was 10 years younger than me, I believe. And she started to re rebuke me. And the first things out of her mouth was, you're out from under spiritual authority. I said, what? 
she had no clue who I was. And I'm an experienced minister office. You're out from under spiritual authority. And you were, God is sitting you here to sit in those seats for weeks until it's, you know. And she pointed to the congregation. Well, I was grieving. I was not in the mood to be rebuked or, you know, disrespected an elder. But she kept on getting louder. And I thought my my energy was draining. And I thought, I'm not going to get in a fist fight with this lady. So I quietly left. But it was just disgusting for that kind of rude treatment mistreatment of a new of a new visitor this is what the devil is wanting to do to make jesus christ the messiah's name unsafe and i'm speaking about it if you want to pick my brain if you want to find out my theology this is why and i meant to say this earlier this is why galatians 1 1 and 2 is so valuable right now because of weird thorny issues like this just for trying to fellowship with the saints hebrews 10 25 Galatians 1, 1 and 2 is mine. The Lord has given me specifically for this office, this house. Like Apostle Paul, Apostle, lowercase letter, servant leader, Apostle, not sent out by any one man or any one group. I and the brothers, of course, their sisters, with me. All right? Not sent out. Sent out by God, not by man. Sent out by, sent out to help people, to fellowship, to love them. James three seventeen community. Ephesians 4, but not to be under them, boss them around or have them boss you, censor you. And then I and the brothers that are with me, Paul writes it. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament. He says they're with me, not under me. So they're co-laborers. Now there's chain of command, but they were co-laborers. They were servant leaders and they were thriving. They were not trying to rule or own or collect people, you know, make people follow them or be under them. So we have to really be careful more than ever because this doctrine of hoops jumping, bowing and scraping is big in the whole United States and different parts. And I teach defensively, but I teach provocatively on purpose because some people really need to know about it. It's not taught because in the grassroots where money is big and thinking is small, money is tight and rules are religious and always right, you got to make sure you know your freedom in Christ. That's why God has birthed online ministry. DFW Leader Ministry, fellowship.com. Short version, onlinefellowship.us. For anyone who needs it, for ministers, black and white, people who just don't know they have the freedom in Christ and they're tired of being run roughshod over and run raw and law and run raw over by the law. This is Tavo D'Arcy, submitting it all as a Selah in James 3.17 form, just because I mentioned the whelp, just because I mentioned some false teaching, just because I mentioned all this stuff, doesn't mean I don't love them, doesn't mean I don't have a pure heart, doesn't mean I'm biased against them, I just respect them, but I don't like their false teaching because it hurts people and ruins Jesus' name. That's why I'm talking about it. Feel free to call me up, feel free to make an appointment. If you hear my name being gossiped about, just know they've never talked to me directly. If they would have, they would have found out what a lovely gem I really am in James 3.17.4. God bless you. He loves you. And so do I. This is Tavo signing off for now. God bless you.